This is The Hidden Why Podcast, episode 615, with best-selling author Sally Cohn. The challenge is to find the compassion for others that we want to have for us. That is a quote by Sally Cohn. G'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to The Hidden Why Podcast. Guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode. I hope you're very well. Today, guys, I'm bringing you Sally Cohn. She is the author of The Opposite of Hate, which is a book, essentially a field guide to repairing our humanity. Sally believes that, you know, in this world at the moment, we are facing an epidemic of incivility and hate. It seems to be rising, and certainly as hate spreads, it just grows hate. Hate leads to more hate. So how can we tackle this? She found it very fascinating uh, through her own life, the injustices that she felt, and also through her own levels of hate. She believes that we all do hate at some level. So really it's a journey that began with her and then she was on a mission to figure out why we hate and how we can stop it. So she goes traveling the world, she interviews uh, the likes of terrorists and white supremacy leaders, um, down to you know the Twitter troll. She tries to understand it from a scientific and uh, research background as well. She re- uh, speaks with many experts in the field of hate to understand the evolutionary and cultural roots of hate and why it exists. We discuss all that in this episode, guys. Great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think. Jump on to thehiddenwide.com. We do wrap it up a little bit quick at the end. Sally had to run, but it is a enjoyable conversation, guys. So yeah, let me know what you think. Jump on to thehiddenwide.com. Cheers. G'day, Sally. Welcome to The Hidden Why. How are you? Oh, I'm so excited you started with G'day. I'm not going to lie. Thank you. That, G'day. That, that, <laughs> that was really, thank you. I, I don't want to play too much into the stereotypes, but I, that you just, you made my whole day. That's or awesome. My, my good day, as it were. So thank you. Hello. That, that's, that's, <laughs> that's bloody awesome to hear, mate. <laughs> All right now. Don't, don't. Just, you better stop there. I can keep playing with it. Get that. <laughs> and uh, what's happening in your world today? <laughs> do you do you want like a metaphorical answer or a literal answer? Yeah, what are you, what are you up to? Well, I, uh, you know, I, I, you and I had rescheduled a couple times. I couldn't cancel again, so it was all me. It was my fault. I rescheduled is the nice word. I canceled on you, I think twice. Or half, for, no, you know, so it I was wasn't. Like, wasn't twice. I don't think so. So well, here we. Are. No, I think it was. Uh, but uh, so I am. Uh, but my partner is sick. So I had to take my kid to cello lessons. So we are at cello lessons. I've found a quiet little corner. I've ducked out. I'm, uh, we'll do this conversation. I will then return to uh, the uh, you know note-taking job in uh, in cello. And uh, there you go. That's cello lessons. On. I can hear the kids in the background by the sounds of it. Yes, there is going to be occasionally some some noise. Okay. I mean, fortunately, the cello lesson will be away, but there'll be there are other children. It's it's all good. We'll get through. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know what? It's interesting. Is it's I love actually hearing stories of how people, you know, especially these days. I think everyone's so nomadic, and uh, you know, it, which is wonderful that people can uh, more and more. Uh, I think sort of creative professionals have outside of the box jobs, and and it's really fun to hear the you know scenarios in which people manage to get. Yeah, well, hopefully our connection. Today. Hopefully our connection stage. You just cut out there for a bit, so. Um, hopefully that doesn't play a big problem. I hope not. I am, I'm relying on these me. people's <laughs> Wi-Fi. It just went out for a second, but otherwise 
now I can hear you. So let does, me, I'm going to quit more things. It does that. Anyway, here we time. are. So Let's look, I'm ex- excited to uh, get you on the phone. Either way, uh, I have been looking forward to this interview. You've got a great new book out uh, titled "The Opposite of Hate: A Field Guide to Repairing Our Humanity." So that's really why I want to get you on to talk about your book and your work and your research, and also just for us to better understand this topic of hate. I think it's really important for us individually and collectively to understand this. I just actually wrote a a blog post off the back of your TED talk um, as well on the topic oh. of hate. So there you go. I, I really love that talk as well. So I'm going to stick it in the show notes, guys. Check it out. You've got to have a look. Oh, can't um, wait to read it. Thank you. So yeah, it'll be, uh, I don't know when it launches actually, um, probably this month sometime. So keep your eye out for that one. But um, yeah, look, what... Why why this book? What what brought you to writing a book on hate? Well, I think uh, anyone who's sort of paying even a little bit of attention right now to the state of the world can see that we have a uh, large and growing problem with hate. I actually, I don't know. I don't think that it's the worst it's ever been necessarily, but it's, uh, you know, it, we're a society, uh, a world that has struggled with dehumanizing, demeaning, otherizing people and groups of people because of their ideas and their identity for, well, you know, time and memoriam. And yet at the same time, it's, it's, it's bad enough now. And I think because of surround sound media, social media, uh, the kind of all encompassing nature of politics today, it's gotten to a point where I think it's bad enough. We have to do something about it. And, that I, I certainly was feeling um, the harm, negativity, injustice uh, of hate encroaching on my own life, yeah. but also encroaching on my own mindset. And it was realizing that I was part of the problem that made me want to also be part of the solution. Right. So it's a personal journey. Yeah, I mean, look, I think, you know, hate as a phenomenon is a really fascinating one in that, you know, as I said, I think it's something that most people can say, okay, I have a problem with this. Or I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's something most people can say we have a problem, right? Most people will look and will agree that we as a society have a problem with hate, that this is a, you know, that that and it's bad, right? Most people are against it. Uh, I think there's too much of it and I think it's bad. And yet it's a phenomenon, sort of maybe singular in this sense, where it's one of those things that, pretty much everyone is against and pretty much no one thinks is their fault or their responsibility. And so you have all these people, basically all of us, you know, standing around outraged about hate, but not actually doing anything about it because we don't think it's our fault. We think it's their fault. We always are pointing the finger and cast and blame at others. And what, and I, to be honest, had done that for most of my life, most of my professional life too. And it wasn't until I went to go work at Fox news as a, liberal lefty commentator that I realized as you know someone who thought of herself as against hate working against otherizing and injustice my whole life that I then realized that these people who I thought thought hateful things and represented hateful ideas in the world I hated them and I noticed myself uh in that dynamic and it it you know it 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 ostensibly took my breath away because hmm. I realized uh, I was part of the problem. So what were the uh, injustices that you were experiencing exactly? Can you share? Oh, I mean, I, both in my own life to a more nominal sense, I guess, as a, 
you know, as, as uh, someone who's gay and as someone who's Jewish, having experienced and, and sort of been schooled in both the present and the past of injustices okay. in that regard. Right. But also, um, but also uh, being able to look at how the world, um, you know, the work I was doing in the world, right? The work I was doing in the world was all about helping immigrants and communities of color and people who've been dealing with mass incarceration and all these things. And, and I thought I stood against all that hate. Um, that right. was what I thought I represented. I thought I was, you know, emblematic in being against hate, not, not creating it, but fighting it. Hmm. And what I came to realize is that it's much more complicated and nuanced than that. We all, you know, we all are on some level, not to the same degree, but on some level on the receiving end, but we're also all on the creating end and the perpetuating end. So we all hate at some level. Um, I mean, I think so. Again, not necessarily with the same severity. Yeah. Uh, and it's not to say, you know, I think we often debate who did it worse than first. But if we can get past that, right? And, and, and often we use that sort of blame casting as an excuse to then not address our own. Oh, I don't do it as bad or mine is justified. We all think ours is justified. It turns out everyone thinks theirs is justified. Hmm. So we need to figure out how do we solve it. If that's the case, then how do we solve it, right? If because we could all we could be pointing blame for the rest of our lives, and yeah, we'd never absolutely. get any better. No, no. Um, it's interesting. What um, do you do? You feel that we all like consciously think about hey, because you know before sort of seeing, listening to your TED talk, and then watching it, um, and then you know reaching out to you. It, I don't know if it was, yeah, I mean, I, I see people sometimes hating certain situations and I try and have a positive outlook, but I don't know if we all are conscious of the hate that actually exists around us in our day-to-day lives um, or at a higher sort of global level either. No, that's right. I think, um, and you know, this is, again, on some level, one of the things I found out in the process of this journey and in the process of writing this book, one of the things I found out that was on some level the most disturbing but also really if if you kind of can get through it it's also optimistic in a way is that even people who are part of what we would identify as as most sort of overt as you know obvious hate organizations talking neo-nazis terrorists yeah members of violent right-wing extremist organizations by and large they don't join those organizations this is both the anecdotal evidence suggests this, but also research studies, uh, you know, time and time again have shown this, that by and large, they don't join these organizations because they are uh, seeking out these hate organizations because they have these deep and extreme hateful ideologies and are seeking to find groups that affirm them, but rather they're seeking belonging. Yeah, right. Uh, they're disaffected people seeking belonging. We know this from, by the way, also from the way terrorist recruitment works, the way gang recruitment works, that they're seeking belonging, and the term the scholars use is that they slide into the ideology. So maybe they had bits and, and pieces of the ideology to begin with, but they deepen their convictions several fold as a part of deepening their belonging in the group and bonding to others. Makes and, sense. Hmm. You know, when I, well, it does make sense, right? But I have to say, when I first read it, I, I was sort of appalled, and it seemed so strange and made no sense to me, and then I realized... Oh, when, for instance, uh, even still, I sit around at a dinner party with my liberal friends and we all complain about Trump voters, 
we're doing the same thing too. We're bonding over hate. It's, again, it's not as, as you know, it's not to the same degree. It's not with the same severity of impact by far. But the idea of bonding over hate, that we deepen our social ties to those who we decide are like us by attacking, demeaning, belittling, dehumanizing those who we decide are not us is is actually a fairly universal phenomenon. And yes, we all do it. Hmm. Hmm. So there's a um, certainly an evolutionary sort of, uh, not a need, I wouldn't say, but an evolutionary or cultural aspect to hate and why we do it. And that's, you know, as you said, it, it's for the need to belong. And then that's a fundamental requirement of life, yeah? Right, which is, of course, so interesting, right? Because people will sit, come up to me and say and insist that hate is normal. Uh, and not only that hate is normal, that racism and misogyny and, and anti-immigrant sentiments and anti-Semitism and Islamophobia, they will try to insist and argue that these things are normal hmm. in the world and natural even. And the fact is that they're not. We, as, we have to think about the difference between, say, hardware and software, if we think about it that way. And humans are, to an extent, we are hardwired to be able to hate. We have this uh, capacity in our evolutionary biology and psychology to be able to group the world into in-groups and out-groups and have a preference for our in-group and a bias against the out-groups. But who we hate who we decide to hate, uh, you know, is it is entirely completely created by the context and the society around us. There's not some part of that, you know, evolutionary wiring that makes us racist or sexist or Islamophobic or anti-Semitic. We've learned that. That's the software that's been programmed into us by media and culture and politics. And what's in, what's the what's sort of interesting analog to that is that we are also programmed to want to belong, to connect with people. Uh, and, and what we have to see is, start to understand is not the, that those things are antithetical in some way or that there's a tension between them, but rather that there's, it's a knot, it's a sort of messy knot. And that just as our capacity to divide the world into in-groups and out-groups can be used, manipulated, exploited, amplified in hateful ways, so can our desire for connection and belonging. It can be used to, uh, you know, define the us in very hateful ways against the them in very, in very particular and meaningful and impactful ways. So that's what we are. We're wrestling with not belonging versus, uh, you know, sort of uh, identify, identity, right? Kindness versus cruelty. Right. Hmm. Uh, and how we construct meaning around those identities and opportunities. Yeah. So it's, it's certainly a, a learned uh, condition. It, it, I mean, again, not the capacity, right? It's that. Not the capacity. So we, we are, we, right. we're built but to hate, we and hate, we're built to love. Who we hate. Right. But we're not built to hate anyone in particular. No. Right. It's like we have, we have the, you know, the capacity. We got the basic wiring down. But, who we hate, the categories, the identities, the ideologies, the way we apply that capacity hmm. is completely learned. That is a product. We are products of our biology and our wiring only to an extent. The rest is our history and our upbringing and our culture and our media and our education system yeah. and the 
overt and covert cues we pick up from the world around us. Yeah, and I like the hardware and software sort of analogy there. I think that's a really easy way to understand it. What I wonder is and curious about is why, what, what is the purpose then? If we've been hardwired to have a capacity to hate in your research, what did you find, I mean, the purpose of this? You know, so here's the thing. Imagine once upon a time you and I were sitting in a valley uh, banging on our rocks as yeah, we did still back, do that. back then. I mean, I, I one of my favorite hobbies. Uh, I try to not wear a loincloth because I I care about humanity and I don't want them to suffer. Um, and but so you and I are, are sitting in the valley banging on our rocks, and um, uh, some other Neanderthal, uh, you know, era humanoids come up over the mountain with their rocks, and uh, we do not know them. They are not of our tribe. We are scared. Yeah. Uh, and that is a an important evolutionary biologists and, and psychologists will tell us that is a very important uh, adaptive quality, right? To it is it is important to fear the unknown in certain evolutionary ways, right? Yeah. So that you are protected. You don't just uh, you know wander up to um, you know. And by the way, this is there's research that suggests that this is even true in infants, right? That uh, that they have a preference for um, the familiar over the unknown. And that is important because you don't want to be crawling off after someone who is not your parent or your caretaker. So that, uh, that has certain important functionality and evolutionary functionality. Mm. And at the same time, right, that capacity to be afraid, the fact that we as human beings, there is evidence are more governed often by fear or more quickly motivated by fear than by desire or hope or optimism. Uh, the fact that there's there's evidence that people will bond more quickly over, uh, you know, that you and I will bond more quickly if we can find something we mutually hate than if we find something we mutually like. Hmm. The, there, there are ways in which these qualities, right, which are understandable, even innocuous, uh, or make some, or, or, or sort of even useful in the context of certain evolutionary needs uh when manipulated for devious cruel exploitative reasons or motivations becomes quite harmful so you know when we uh play and 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 by the way the fact that we and we know that's the case but the way we know it is because we so much of our history oppression injustice inequality inequity has been rationalized, not through just raw political, look, we're trying to, the men want all the power, and so we're going to tell you women are inferior, and that's why we're doing this. Yeah. Right? But we, we, in fact, it was so shameful, obviously, patently shameful and wrong, that the only way to rationalize it was to make it seem biological. Right? Same thing around the history of racism, colonialism, etc. And, and so we've relied on sort of feigning biological arguments to justify because hate is so otherwise Hmm. indefensible because it's indefensible it's Hmm. just patently indefensible it's wrong it's immoral it's 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 wrong and it's obviously wrong to us and so and 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 so it's very interesting when you look at the full spectrum of human capacity and human ability both from in terms of evolutionary past and in terms of culture and present 
what becomes clear is that we have a choice. Hmm. And we have used often biology, history, physiology to pretend that we don't. Yeah. To make excuses uh, for the choices that have been made in the past that maybe we didn't did or didn't participate in, but that have certainly benefited us or or, or not. It allows us to sleep better at night. We have choices. Right. The fact is, the fact is, none of maybe none of us living right now chose the world to be this the way it is. Maybe we didn't wouldn't choose it to be this way, but it is this way. And the question is, is we can't just explain it away. Yeah. Uh, we have to actually do something about it. The question really becomes, what's your responsibility to fix it? Hmm. I love it. It's uh, interesting that you know, as a as a evolutionary standpoint, it seems like yeah, we do have the capacity to hate. Um, you know, for the purposes perhaps of survival, um, to protect our our group. Um, yet you know, as as we use it then to manipulate um, each other, it hate only sort of strengthens hate from that sort of standpoint, and therefore probably doesn't do any benefits to anyone. Thoroughly and, and beautifully put. What, um, you said something before, I can't remember exactly how you said it, but um, I'll, I'll come back to me. I, please tell me it was profound. It was, it was <laughs> profound. It was, it was something you said that I just, and I should have taken a note down, but anyway, I didn't. Um, yeah, really interesting. And, and I, I sort of feel that, you know, hate does promote hate just as, you know, positivity promotes positivity. Um, and that's what you said. You said we are more inclined to hate as opposed to the opposite. Is that what you said? Something along those lines. I mean, or either way, we have the choice. We, I mean, regardless, we have a choice. And to act as though we don't uh, is, to, is to become complicit in the dynamics in the world around us. I mean, uh. you know, look, it, it's, it's the, the other piece here that's really plain to see for me at this point is that at some point in some way, again, not necessarily in the same degree in the same extent, but not only are we all, we interesting thing, most people. And again, I'm talking even neo Nazis and terrorists and not, not just sort of average folk, right? Most people see themselves in some way, shape or form as victims of hate. They mm. do. Yeah. Right. Whether it's, uh, you know, uh, you know, even if you talk to right, like from my perspective, I talk about how you know liberals can bond over saying they hate Trump supporters, but Trump supporters will say that they feel hated by liberals, and they've been called baskets of deplorables, et cetera, et cetera. So, on some way, shape, or form, most people feel not necessarily the same degree, but most people feel in some way, and can probably pretty quickly identify that they feel that they have been victims of hate. Most people do not own. And certainly do not own in any kind of with any kind of regularity the ways in which they have been perpetrators. And the fact is, is that we happen to be in a moment sort of historically and culturally where we also tend to bond over our victimhood. Right. Um, right. In one of the chapters in international theory, it's called competitive victimhood. I recently spoke at a graduate school where people called it competitive complaining that they just love to complain and everybody competes over who has it worse and you know your day oh mine's stressful oh mine's more stressful how's your marriage oh mine's bad how's your mind you're over the worst you know we're very um sort of comfortable in our complaining and powerlessness mm. and 
and we are reluctant to see when we are part of the problem. And the problem is, is that, you know, again, we wouldn't have this dynamic of hate if everyone wasn't involved. And we tend to think that, you know, even then that, oh, my version isn't that bad or my version is justified. You know, what's troubling is when I went to Rwanda Mm. and looked more broadly at the phenomenon and the sort of chaos and horror of genocide, a philosopher said to me, you know, we don't have mass atrocities because of a handful of psychopaths. There aren't enough psychopaths in the world to, you know, or there weren't enough psychopaths in Germany or Serbia or Rwanda. We have mass atrocities because masses of people participate in them. Mm. And that means any of us. That means potentially all of us. That none of us is immune. And in fact, that is how these atrocities happened. And it's recognizing that that capacity. Nope, to just, begin with, it is something that many, you. all of us, I, I argue, oh, sorry, yeah. I argue it's something all of us act on in yeah. some way, shape, or form on a regular basis and all have the capacity to do it in a much more extreme form unless we are aware, unless we're aware of it and catch it and stop it. Hmm. And that's the thing is, and, and, and it's recognizing that hate is a problem and hate, more hate is never going to be the answer. Yeah. Just like, more injustice is never going to be the answer to more injustice. More cruelty is never going to be the answer to cruelty. So yeah. we all, again, we all need to start to see the problem differently, not as their problem, but our problem. And then, and take responsibility as far as it is our choice. Yes. I think would be, uh, yeah, okay. That, and that makes sense. I, I just, the story comes to mind of the, uh, the fly in the China shop. I don't know if you've ever heard that story. Um, uh, I've heard about a bull in a china shop, but I'd like to hear about a fly in a china shop. Well, I think it says, this you know, one, how do you how do you me. destroy a, a china shop? You don't send the fly in there. Um, you send the bull in there, and and that's sort of the representation of you know a psychopath is the fly. Um, but when he's combined with the hate of the collective, then that's the bull, and that's the best way to destroy you know the china shop. Interesting. I like it. Um, I think that's something of the story anyway, but just going off the back of what you said, it's absolutely perfect. I might Google it to fill in the details, but thank you. I'll take it. Yeah, it's it's something like that anyway, but we get the gist. Um, (laughs) Yes. And that's interesting. Uh, And what you said before was that to find common grounds when we're meeting um, a new person or a group or whatever and to find that fit, um, we more often will talk about the things, our victimhoods and, and our hate rather than, you know, something a bit more positive. Yeah, no, that's that's right. And, I, and, and in general, and look, I mean, I had to say this is why I, to me it was important to write a book about hate that was ultimately very positive and optimistic because it is something that can be solved. And to spend time talking to ex-neo-Nazis and ex-terrorists and former uh, participants yeah. in genocide who had left lives of hate behind to show i mean if they can do it if they can do it yeah there has to be hope for the rest of us and it is possible to look uh, let's be clear not hating isn't the same as agreeing uh you know you can find compassion for people yeah uh without supporting everything they say or do or stand for 
not hating is simply not hating. It's figuring out a way to stand up for what you believe in without stomping on others. It's holding your deeply held beliefs without uh, attacking, obliterating, trying to destroy not just the ideas of others, but their very existence mm. or their right to exist or their humanity. And, and you know, on some level, it's a simple idea. On another hand, we're doing it really poorly. Why do you think we opt for those conversations rather than a conversation about something more positive? Why do you think it's easier for us to go for, you know, the topics on hate when we're joining a group or meeting someone or... Um, you know, I, it's a, it's a great question. I actually don't know that I know the answer. I think I have theories. Um, uh, there's some evidence, right. That, you know, negativity is stickier, right. Uh, that it, um, it's, it's why it's so effective in politics and, and, you know, in media, right. That negative posts will travel more than positive posts. But I also haven't seen, you know, as a society, we have gotten to a point where we're so comfortable with the lowest common denominator that I don't know what it would be like if we tried to counter that. I'm not sure. And I don't think anyone knows for sure if that is a inherent mm. psychological phenomenon or rather a sort of current cultural phenomenon that just plays out that way. Um, so it's, it's an interesting question. Either way, though, here's the thing. Either way, this is sort of how I feel about like, is being a, is being gay a choice or not? Hmm. I don't really care, it, right? Like if it's if it's biological, if it's ten percent biological, twenty whatever. I think it should like to me the biological reality is less important than whatever the rest is because we know it's not a hundred percent. Yeah, we know it's not hundred percent biological. We know that there is some element of choice, whether it's just the choice to express the biology or not or the choice to lean in one direction or not or whatever and to me that's what matters more because that's where society comes in and that's where parenting and schools and culture and media and all that comes in and that's where we then make the difference about do people feel like they can you know express the full range of who they are or not and that's the part that we individuals but also we as a society have some say over it's the same thing here. Look, so having said, said, some, the ability to have a choice. Right. Well, some, so some amount of, uh, you know, pessimism is, you know, there is some evidence that that may be part of who we are as people, but it's not all we are as people. Hmm. And so, and, and, you know, the, it sort of just goes to larger kind of geopolitical phenomena around, you know, are we pessimistic that poverty will always be with us and war will always be with us? And therefore, hate seems like it will always be with us, too. And, and the simple fact is, it's not. And by the way, if you look at, there's evidence that, in fact, we have gotten, we've become over, you know, centuries, some more peaceful people, less violent people, hmm. more you know, inching toward equity and justice, if we really take the long view here. So, again, I think there is so much more reason for optimism and for compassion, kindness, connection, and belief that justice and equality uh, are possible. And 
we simply have to be better evangelists of it. So that brings me to sort of the final uh, thought or question is, you know, how, how do we tackle this phenomenon? I mean, if it's, if it's something that we all have the capacity to, it seems like it's something that um, is easiest for us to do when we're, you know, with our in-group um, and, and even joining some new group. I mean, that's the best way to connect is, hey, prove that you're on the same page as us and, and you know, dislike or whatever it might be, the, the groups that we um, dislike. Um, that'd be your easiest way in. Um, so it seems like it, it's, it's there and it's, it certainly serves some sort of purpose evolutionary wise, but at the uh, larger scale, there is a big problem with it. How do we move forward? I mean, yeah. What, what do we do? Yeah. Catching it is the first important step. It's just catching it, noticing that we do it, is the first step because for a lot of us and i've certainly heard this in the reactions to my book as well a lot of people didn't think what they were doing was hate i I will say that in all sides it goes for the people who troll online the people who complain about this political party or the people who voted on that side or this side and the way that they think about and talk about them did not see it as part of this problem of hate yeah and so it is first to notice that we all do it yeah, and that turns out that whether we're talking about unconscious bias, partisanship, uh, you know, other forms of otherizing, what, that actually just bringing awareness to it uh, and catching ourselves is, mm. in fact, a key step yeah. in then stopping it like any bad habit. Right. You have to catch yourself and stop yourself. And that's what this is in the forms in which we do it we have to think of it as a bad habit shaped by history and the world around us so there there are other things we need to do and and important to do in terms of public policy in terms of addressing the legacy of hatred in our institutions our policies our practices uh you know from everything from criminal justice to education to neighborhoods we live in housing policy fiscal policy etc that's utterly and entirely essential and somewhere in between those two then if you both catch your personal biases and hatred and we start to address the ways in which policy have fed and fueled and fanned hatred and further divided us then in that space in between, we actually start to connect more as people. We become both more interested in doing so and because of public policy, more able to do so mm-hmm. and and start to actually know people, uh, get beyond uh, the uh, ideas we have of people uh, who are the other uh, and instead... experience human connection, which is you know which is the opposite of hate yeah well i guess that's the the, um the way to tackle it is with compassion and then the best way to have compassion is understanding and that's understanding of everyone whether it's um someone that you agree with or not correct what what um it's interesting um look i'm going to stick your book in the show notes so the audience can can reach out and, and have a read of it um i'm sure there's a lot more to it um i know you're very busy this morning so Let's run into these quick round questions. Um, I ask oh, all, sure, these, all my guests these questions. So uh, let's see how well you go with it, Sally. Oh, boy. 
Um, not nervous at all. Is there, is there anything I, I should have asked you about your, your book or research, um, perhaps that I didn't before we move into these? Oh, gosh, no. You, it was a fantastic conversation. You nailed it. it. All right, cool. No, yes. I've really enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, it's very interesting. And I think you know, people like yourself doing the work that you're doing, that is probably fundamental. You're bringing it to our attention. You're bringing it to our awareness. And if that's the catalyst to bring change and allow us to make uh, better choices and take more responsibility, um, then perhaps we can turn the conversation around to a more positive, compassionate one. Um, thank you. So, I hope so. Thank you. Thank you. So the first question for you is, do you have any routines or rituals that you believe contribute to your success? <sighs> oh, boy. I don't know. I get eight hours of sleep as much as I can generally. Um, I try to read... Um, books, magazines, news sources, just people I follow on social media from a very wide range of sources and ideas, beliefs, experiences, life backgrounds. Yep. Um, I think that enriches me intellectually um, in, in infinite ways, makes my perspective more balanced. Um, I... Oh man, there was another one I thought, and I can't I can't remember what I was going to say. There's a there's a third in there. Uh, what was it? Huh? Tools huh. <laughs> that I. Well, you know. It'll come um, back to you. Yeah, you know, it's, it was the other one, which was really, really, really important. We'll um, just write that down. There's oh, an important third. I think, well, here's what I'll say. The, the third is like, I try to make a habit of knowing what I don't know, and uh, being. <clears throat> incredibly curious to interrogate my own perspectives, right? We're in a, a very interesting time. And I mean, maybe this is human nature as well, but we, we all, we tend to like to think we know everything. And especially when you get to the point where you're writing and you're, you know, if you're a public voice on issues or whatever, you're kind of, there's a reinforcement of the idea that you know everything. And I think remembering that you don't yeah. and look, as someone whose job it is to persuade, you know, in theory, my job is political persuasion, but try to always be open to being persuaded as well. Mm. Having my opinions and assumptions interrogated, that is often hard, but always rewarding. It's interesting that sometimes it's so easy to take on new perspectives or ideas, uh, et cetera, uh, and, and really grasp it and go, yeah, that's it. Uh, and I often put myself up now where I'll, I'll bring up something that I've learned or, or found out about, and I'll, I'll mention it to my wife. And then she'll just say something very quick off the bat and and I'll just have to stop and pause and go, oh, okay, yeah, actually, that's something that I didn't think about. And um, it's just a good way to, right. you know, be curious about your perspectives and why they exist and, you know, not getting really attached to them, I think, is uh, pretty important. Um, cool. I like that. I like I, that ritual. Thank you. Thank what, you. What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Oh, man. Uh, what advice would I give to my 20-year-old self? Whew. Uh, huh. uh, you know, I think I wish I'd, I think I've come to learn the value of wandering a little bit more. Uh, and I think I would have told my, my 20 year old self was very focused um, and super studious. And, uh, you know, I think I would have told my 20 year old self to screw around a little more, get lost a little more do things for no reason a little bit more uh yeah 
but you know, yep. better like late than never. How do you fi- define success? How do you define success? Going to bed at night feeling that I was able to make the world a little bit better. Nice one. What is one tool, skill, resource, or technique that has helped improve your productivity or effectiveness? Hmm. Well, did we mention the eight hours of sleep? I mean, it really is huge. <laughs> I've, I've been a big fan for a long time, uh, even before Ariana Huffington told me to be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, you know, when I can do it, and sometimes I don't, but like turning off the email. Honestly, just turning off the internet, like spending, first of all, like only trying to not, you know, only check email a couple times a day, um, which is hard, sort of in the news business. Um, but uh, trying to do that and just also trying to turn off the internet, read books, read, you know, think long term, not just short term, think big picture, not just small picture. Yeah. I think that's a really important one. Switch it off. Um, yeah, great advice. Um, not so easy these days, but um, definitely good advice. What advice yes, would you give? It's, it's hard. It is hard. Yeah, but once you get into the habit, um, it's um, uh, life changing. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what advice would you give someone looking to make some change in their life? Hmm. <sighs> You know, for the longest time, I think I thought that um, doing good um, was somewhat antithetical to sort of self-fulfillment or joy or happiness. And I think as I've gotten older, I've realized that, in fact, the leaders are also content or even happy. Uh, and that more of us should be. And so I think it's, it's figure out how to, you know, feel good, feel fulfilled and do good. Yeah. I like it. If I was to serve you your final meal, what meal would that be? Final meal? Your favorite food. Yeah, I know. But I mean, listen, I take this question very seriously. I really, really like food. Um, (laughs) Uh, oh boy, it would probably be, you know, my partner 15 years ago when she was trying to woo me made uh, this dish. She doesn't make it as much anymore. I'm going to have to get her to make it, uh, called, uh, it's a chicken zucchini and peaches dish, sort of all pan, pan fried chicken, zucchini, peaches, and then this sour cream sauce and it's just it's delicious it's nostalgic it's filling it's sweet it's savory it's everything a good meal should be i think i'd want that well tell her to put on the list it's got to happen it's the next call i'm making (laughs) Um, what is what activity gives you the greatest sense of joy oh uh playing with my kid cool without question playing with my kid what is one book you that what is one book you'd pass down to your child one book. Ah, down to my child. You know, I've been rereading um, Pema Chodron's When Things Fall Apart. 
which is just such a, a useful book for you know hard moments or challenges in life and and it helps you understand that you know those are actually those are the important moments you know someone recently said to me you win some you learn some mm. that was really right so it's not about you know I think all of us have to learn we're such a failure averse society but uh, you know that's when you learn that's when you grow that's when you get better yeah that's really cool I like that uh, guys, I'm going to stick that in the show notes too, guys. Uh, so check it out at the end. Why you've just uh, sent my thoughts off on a, a little bit of a tangent there momentarily. I'm back, <laughs> but yeah, certainly it's going to I'm be. I'm afraid a, I got to run. It's going to be uh, a book of my book. Okay, not a problem at all. Look, really okay. appreciate you being here. Um, had a few other questions for you, but I'll stick them in an email, send them to you, and perhaps you can um, just respond when you get a bit of time. But other than that, uh, Sally, thank you very much for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Hey, I absolutely enjoyed it. Thank you for the great conversation. And people can best reach you through your website. Is that probably the best way? They can indeed. SallyConeKOHN.com. I'll stick it in the notes. Guys, check it out at thehiddenwire.com 614, episode 614 with Sally Cone. Uh, thanks, Sally. Enjoy the rest of your day. Until next time, guys, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels, using the icons on the platform that you're listening to the Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose. And in doing so, you will discover your hidden why. This is The Hidden Why. My name is Lee Martin. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon.